Man, that was good. I could just, uh, I'll just sit over there and let him do that. We'll be, we'll be done. And those who want to stay can. Oh. So, good morning. Uh, what a, what a good looking group. I, I, you know, it, it being uh, a holiday and all and the guys being gone, I kind of thought maybe there would be 12 of y'all. And so, uh. I wasn't too worried about this, uh, but if you're here, uh, let me start by saying that you're here and God saw it from the beginning of eternity that you would be in this place this day. And so I want to get out of the way of that. I'm humbled to be here. Uh, I, I, I'm not a preacher. So if you're new, uh, I got a relatively new friend sitting in the room. Uh, who probably was surprised when I stood up here, almost as surprised as I am. Uh, but you're off the hook, right? You can relax. I'm, I'm, I'm not a preacher. don't have enough experience to throw anything powerful at you in and of myself. Uh, but I'm convinced that God's Word is powerful, life-giving, um, ability to separate what is and what isn't, what should and what should not be, uh, what hurts and what gets, gives life. And that's, what, that's all I want us to do this morning, is look into uh, God's Word. Well, I'm thankful for Eastside uh, Baptist Church. We have been here nine years. Uh, now, if you are from Claxton, you're from Claxton. If you're not from Claxton, you're never going to be from Claxton. Uh, but I have been here nine years, and you have loved me and my family like your own. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and so that's one reason I'm here. Teaching Blue Trees uh, Sunday School class, another reason that I'm here. There's a group of families. We, we call them young families, but they really are not all that young anymore. Um, but that just, just living that life, I'm on the tail end of, of, of living that life with kids at home. And we so enjoy doing that. Uh, my wife does a lot of that investing but we, uh, we look into God's Word together every week, and, and, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and then you should know that it's a particular goal of mine to encourage the ministers of a church wherever I am. And, I, and God affirmed that in my life a long time ago. And so I'm doing this because Matt is getting some sweet time with his daughter. And he texted me yesterday. They had just come off the golf course he said, I'm praying for you. And then I've gotten some really encouraging texts from the men who are uh, uh, off for a, a, a retreat. And I, I am praying this morning that they'll come home refreshed and clear on God's plan for their lives. So our time in, in talking about moving forward has been rich. And I'm holding a place. And Matt's going to come back and, and lead us into, into moving forward about what's next. Uh, but my hope this morning, I just have one hope. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to challenge you greatly, and I'm not going to call you out. I just want to encourage you today. I hope you'll leave with your chin two or three degrees higher uh, than it was when you left. Not lifted up in pride, but lifted up, uh, refreshed, encouraged by God's word and about the opportunity to live a life that honors him. Last week we were in Numbers 10, and uh, this week we're going to be in Numbers 20. And then I'm going to jump us all around because I don't have anything to give you that's any good except God's Word 
And so that we're just going to do we're just going to do that. So um, we're going to start in Numbers 20, and we're going to read verses 6 through 13. And uh, most of the scriptures that we'll actually read today, you'll you'll see on the scripture if you don't have your Bible. If you do, turn in your Bible uh, and look there. Um, this is the ESV that we're reading from today, but uh, but you'll be able to follow along in whatever you're reading there. So if you would, and we'll only do this for this, but if you would, just so we can say together that God's word is truth and that it changes lives, let's stand together and read, read God's word. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation. And you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. And then, starting with verse 10, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. Let's go to God and ask him to reveal himself to us this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, this is... To me, God, not to you, to me, ridiculous that I would be standing in this place trying to do this thing. Father, that I think is important uh, to open your word and have you reveal it to us in a way that it would change. What we know of you, and when we learn more of you, God, it changes who we are. That's what I pray this morning, that we would look into your word and that you would work in our lives. These are your people standing in front of me. They're not my people. I sure am grateful that you've given them to me to love and encourage and they would love and encourage me, but they don't belong to me, they belong to you. And God, so I, I pray that you would encourage your people in your world. This world seems strange to me. There's a lot of crazy stuff. It's very frustrating, discouraging, confusing to us, but not to you. You're in control. So I pray that you would reveal your word to us Father, in a way that we would see you more and that it would help us see the world aright, like you see it. And then, God, I pray that your work would be done in this place, that you would work in our lives, change how we see you and the truth, and shape us into the people you'd have us to be in the world you've given us to live in. I pray all these things through the blood and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Father, make us more like him. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I like this story. It, it's perplexing to me a little bit. 
and I, I don't know if you, we're going to talk a little bit about the context here, uh, but most Bible scholars agree uh, this story in Numbers is very close to the end of Israel's journey through the wilderness. After God had offered them the promised land and they said, whoa, have you seen the giants in the land? We're not doing that. Uh, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. We're toward the tail end of that here. And I have always felt like this story was sort of harsh. And in recent days, uh, God has been encouraging me when I have felt sort of harsh through this story. So let's talk, I want to talk a little bit about kind of what we will look at today, and then we're going to look piece by piece, and we're going to jump around, so keep your Bible handy. Uh, but again, the context here is that you would be encouraged. Moses and Aaron found God with the problem. They had a big problem. Uh, they, the, 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 the context here is that the people were thirsty. They'd been walking around in the desert with nothing to drink, and God had been providing for 38 years or so. God had been providing everything that they needed and brought them just what they needed right when they needed it. And when they grumbled and complained, even when God would be frustrated with that, he would provide. And when they didn't like bread, he gave them meat. Right? And when they needed water, he gave it to them. So Moses and Aaron, when the people grumbled and complained, what were they going to do? So they went and found God. They left the complaining people and went and found God. And it said, they, if you remember, they fell on their faces. God planned to provide, and he did just like he planned to do. Right? They, they, they got water. Moses and Aaron forgot God in the process. Pain and frustration distracted them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Moses and Aaron forgot their purpose. They forgot their why. And ignoring God cost them Canaan. Numbers 20, 6 through 13 is what we read. Let's read. I mean, let's look and, and see what, where, what we ought to do. My encouragement to you today for the whole thing, this is going to be the theme. Start with God. Now, this is the, the Blue Tree folks are uh, sort of leaning back in, in their chair and saying, okay, I, I got this, I'm good to go, because they hear me say this all the time, and they, they're thinking, well, I, I'm not going to get anything new today, and they probably are right. Uh, but a theme very quickly after, uh, after Braun and I sort of, at first we just kind of filled in, and uh, we've been filling in in Blue Tree now for nine years when some folks moved away. But my encouragement to them very early as we were studying was to start with God. Change the way you, you have perspective on life. Very often we want to start things with whatever the thing is, right? So if I run into a problem, I, I, I want to start with the problem and say, let me analyze this and see what might have happened and see how I might be able to fix it. And if I run into a snag, I'll ask God to help me. Or my process, right? I get up every day and I have a process. Now, I don't know how fixed your process is. Uh, mine is relatively fixed and I'm not a, a routine oriented kind of person but I just need it or things are going to be a mess all day and so I go through the process and I do one thing first and I do something else next and I try to get things accomplished uh, and, and I'm, I'm going through my process and the problem with not starting with God in the process is I forget that he's in control of everything and so I am trying to make something work that I don't know anything about and he created it from the beginning. And if I would just step in and say, God, I, I, I do have a process, but it's not near as important as yours. I, I'm starting with you. Show me what, how this needs to work. What, what, what the pieces need to be for, for the outcome to be what you want it to be. Um, and then sometimes um, 
I forget any of that, what, what I'm about, right? I just get so distracted by whatever it is in front of me, I forget sort of what my purpose is, why I'm really starting, uh, what I was created for. And when that gets out of kilter, you can end up in the wrong place. Kind of like reading a map upside down, right? When you get there, you know you, you, took, you didn't take that. You should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque, right, as, as, as Bugs Bunny would say. So my encouragement to you today is to start with God. Start with God in your problems. Moses and Aaron, they had a problem. There was no water. It was dry. The pastor's been showing us pictures in, with his slides, and I just hope to come up with something we could read. So I'm, 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 that's why the letters are white. Uh, but, but pictures of a dry and arid place, right? A place that'll make you thirsty just to look at it. Uh, there was no water. And the people were complaining. Now, the people were not his 12 neighbors or the folks that he, you know, the, 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 the 70 people that would have been at his family reunion. There were a couple of million people here who needed something to drink. And it was dry and there was no water. They had a problem. And the people were grumbling and complaining. And if you read these stories that we've been looking at in Exodus and Numbers that the pastor's been preaching at, you're going to see this over and over again. This is a theme. Israel comes and says, Moses, why in the world did you lead us out of Egypt? Now, if you read the story of Egypt, right, they were making bricks. And, and when they didn't work hard enough, Pharaoh took away the straw and made it harder work for them to do that. But they, they missed the leeks and cucumbers, they said. Right, the, the fresh garlic that they had when they were in Egypt. Uh, and we, we tend to pick on them, but boy, I, I could find this in my life over and over again. God, why in the world would you let things be like they are? They were quarreling. Why, why? And they, they put it on Moses and Aaron. So not 20 people, but 2 million people. Moses and Aaron, why in the world have you brought us into this place? This is terrible. We should have died back. I, I wish I'd never been born. Can you imagine somebody laying that on you? And they had a thankless job. Moses had been through a lot. By this point, he'd seen a lot. In fact, Moses and Aaron were a couple of the oldest people in this group of two million folks because God had had them wander around in the wilderness so that a whole generation could die off and not see the promised land because they didn't believe him when he told them to go the first time. So they're among the oldest folks and they've been around the block and they've seen a lot. And here are all these whippersnappers complaining after God has provided for 40 Years. They had a problem. Let's look again at, at the description of the problem here in Numbers. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Boy, they got it right here, didn't they? My encouragement to you is to, is to start with God. Um, when, we, when we start with God, this is the part that seems to be the easiest or the easiest place to do that, right, when things are rough. Because everything comes into focus when you have a problem, when you have a crisis. Now, this may or may not be true depending on the size of the problem, but all of you have been in a situation, all of us have been in a situation where the first thing that comes to mind is pray because I look down and my hands are empty for anything to do about what's in front of me. That's relatively easy. That's what Moses and Aaron did. They left the grumbling and complaining people and went straight to where God was and fell on their faces. What did God do? He spoke, right? He told them 
what to do. Crisis uh, will, will put you in a place where it might be easy to start with God. Um, and so that is exactly where we should. You may have heard a preacher say, you know, well, it, we wait until we have a crisis and then we go to God. Well, I just want to encourage you in that. If you're in crisis this morning, if you've got a situation that you can't think about anything else but that, it's worrying you to death, then I want to help you, but I can't. But the God of the universe who created everything is available to you, and I'd start with him. Now, you're going to have to start with what he says and not what you say, right? You're not going to be able to go to him and say, God, I got all the pieces here, but I need one more. You're going to have to go and say, God, I can't do this. But if you will, he'll answer. They found God and fell on their faces. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to take us to the New Testament every time. In, in these points. So look with me at Matthew 6, 31 and 33. This is how uh, Jesus would encourage us to, uh, to start with God. God's desire to care for his people was demonstrated in the person of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus, when he came, was God's plan, right, to provide for our redemption. And ultimately, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, what he was really doing was displaying his glory and setting things up for Jesus to be at the pinnacle of everything, right? The, the, he, he wanted Jesus to have first place. We're going to talk about that. So he sent Jesus, and Jesus is teaching in the world, and he's saying over and over again how the, what the truth is, and people are kind of looking at him like, what in the world are you talking about? Are you living in the same world that I'm living in? But the main claim that Jesus made when he came is, look, I'm God. God the Father and I are one. Right? I know what he thinks and he knows what I think. And everything that I'm doing here, I'm doing that because he sent me to do it. And that's the context of what he's saying here. Why, why are you worried about what you're going to eat and drink? Do you not believe that I love you? That I have control of all things? That you belong to me? So don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't be focused on the problem. Be focused on me as God. Right? And what does he say about all the things that you might be worried about? How are you going to get them? They're going to be added to you. They're, they're a bonus. They're not the thing. They're just evidence of God's faithfulness in our life. God's faithfulness, God's person is the thing. Focus on the thing. And all these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. Whatever it is. I don't know. You might be writing it down right now. You might be circling it. You might have it running over in your, brain, in your brain. It would be a good idea to tell him that you need it. To demonstrate to him that you know that you need it. But he already knows what you need. That goes with the gig of being God. That's how it works. He already knows. So... Jesus' encouragement to you in your circumstance, if you're in a problem, is to look for God. Look for what he's doing. He says here, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus, when he came, said, 
Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. He brought it with him, right? He, he, the, the, the kingdom is trailing behind him as the king. They're following him. So he came and said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Seek first the kingdom of God, the stuff that's going on in God's perspective, the way God has it in control. And the rest of this stuff, God's going to take care of. He already knows what you need. So in your problem, God knows what you need. Now, I, when we have a conversation and I say these kind of high lofty ideas that are really cool, they sound really, they sound sort of churchy, I would say. Then you probably say, well, that sounds real good, but I got to get up and go out of here and trudge through the mud and do whatever my thing is. So you're going to have to help. You're going to have to do better than that. Well, what I usually ask when I'm working with folks is I say, can you tell me what that looks like? What, is it, what does that look like? Like when that's actually happening, what does that look like? Well, here's what putting God first or starting with God in your problem looks like. It takes practice. You're going to have to decide, okay, God, I want to, I want to start with you. And I got this small problem. Now, you might have heard a preacher say, hey, don't be, don't be praying to, for God to give you a good parking place. Well, I'm going to contradict that a little bit here to say that you need to ask God for whatever it is you need. Whatever it is. Because he's right there. He's present. You need to treat him like he's there. Right? Don't act like he's not there. What in the world am I going to do? In fact, you should start your sentence in, in every circumstance, and particularly your problems, with God, comma, right? God, I'm talking to you. Here's this thing I got. So the way I describe that in, in Blue Tree, uh, when we're in Sunday school sometimes, I talk about praying behind the wheel. They're all going to be rolling their eyes because all this stuff they've heard before, praying behind the wheel. So what this is is you got a situation, and maybe people know what the situation is, and maybe they don't. Maybe it's obvious or maybe it's burning on the inside and you're aching at the heart. This is you at a red light talking to God like he's sitting in the passenger seat. Like you're sitting in his lap in the driver's seat. God, how could this be? Wow, why did you do this? What are we going to do about this? What am I going to do next? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I, what in the world am I going to do if the doctor says I have X? You know, what am I going to do with this solution? I'm not ready for this. Whatever it is, you need to say those things to him. Pray behind the wheel, and it, it's, it's a constant. It, it's speaking to him like he's with you, because he is. Right? And so you've you got to practice. And what you'll figure out, what you've already figured out as God's people, is that today's practice is for tomorrow's game day. Right? So whatever he's got you going through today... If you'll start with him and call on him, then you're going to have built up some muscle memory for that calling on him when a big thing comes. So pray behind the wheel. It takes practice. It takes presence of mind. When you really find yourself in the heat of a situation, to start with God, I got to realize that he's with me. He hasn't gone anywhere. He keeps his promises. So here's how I would describe that, and, and I'm not going to spend tons of time telling stories, but I do want to personalize this, right? I'm trying to be practical. In the summer, I tried to count it back. It would have been the summer of 1986, 
between my eighth and ninth grade year. Coincidentally, I had just finished uh, my lifeguard certification. And my life during the summer was relatively easy. I was just starting to work some shifts at a restaurant that my family owned, um, 14 at this point. And I was sitting in the sitting room at my folks' house. Now that sounds fancy. Ron was kind of laughing. The sitting room was like this little corner in my parents' bedroom where the TV lived. And so I'm, I'm sitting there uh, watching television. I don't know what it was. And uh, probably eating a jar of pickles. Ask me about that later. And I hear this shrill scream like you don't hear very often. Uh, my mother was not a very animated person. She was very even keel. In fact, you might find that hard to believe knowing me. Uh, but but she, was the, she was the calm influence in our family overall. She didn't go real high. She didn't go real low. But at this point, I knew something was up when she came in. I don't remember what she said, but it was just this real scream. So I, I, I ran uh, to, to where she was. She was standing in the kitchen. I don't remember what she said. I just knew I needed to go on past her and find whatever she had found. And I stepped outside to find my father wet up to about his rib cage, right, in his clothes that he'd been working outside in, uh, with my two-year-old nephew in his arms, my two-year-old nephew, David. Now, he is either my youngest or my second youngest nephew by two days, and I forgive me, David and Brad, for not knowing which, but my brother and, and my sister's youngest were born two days apart, and we, we lived sort of on a compound, right? We were all right there together. Um, sort of like the Todd bunch. And so we saw each other on a, on a regular basis. My folks had a, a swimming pool, and my, my two-year-old nephew, David, had wandered over and fallen in the pool. And my dad found him floating face down, got him out. He was sort of blue-gray, and uh, walked from the pool over to the edge of the porch. Now, I'm going to get to the story real quick so you're not too worried. I, I hate this part of the story. But laid him over there, and I think we must have gotten, right, I told you I'd had a little bit of lifeguard training, so I knew enough for us to try to get the water out of him. And we must have gotten a five-gallon bucket of water out of that two-year-old child. And so then I started what I knew about CPR. Back then with a baby, you would put your mouth over the nose and the mouth, and we, we administered CPR right there on the edge of the porch. And I have never prayed so sincerely as I did in that moment. Now, I say never. I've done it some, a few times since. Right? Most recently, when I was, had Milligan's little car wound out behind the ambulance on the way to Savannah when Aiden had a stroke at football practice. But I mean, this for me and my story is before I was right, a, a, a genuine believer, but I was saying, God, please, please, and there was nothing else. There was nothing else I was doing. I was praying, just God, please let David be okay. And the most beautiful sound you have ever heard in your life is that little gurgly cry when he cried and took a breath, right? His color got better. He spent four or five days in the hospital, kind of messed up the little thing that closes off your esophagus, you know, and he had some choking problems for a few years. But by the time he was grown, he was fine. He is a West Point graduate. And a captain in the army now lives very close by. A blue-eyed miracle in a family full of brown-eyed people. 
Uh, and I would tell you that story so that you would understand that there was nothing else to do but call on God. But I grew up in a family where that's what we were going to do. You see, my mother had already been on her knees for all of those grandchildren, right? And for me, a knuckleheaded teenager. And for my brother and sister who had done that years before me. It does take practice, but it takes presence of mind. When you find yourself in a dark place, call on God. Moses and Aaron went and found God and fell on their faces. What were they going to do? And that's what, that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to call on God. But it also takes perspective. Reflect on God's faithfulness. So when God is faithful, look back. So this is me telling you that God has been faithful to us through you, Eastside, in Aiden's struggle and our struggle as a family to have been through. And some other things. Gosh, we were here when he had an open fracture when he was in the seventh grade and you guys were loving on us. And that was some practice for us to be ready when this other thing happened. Just call on God in crisis. What he'll do in our experience is he'll take God's people and minister life and love to you. But what about if it's not a problem? What about just everyday life, right? I just told you this crazy story about this difficult thing that happened. But what about just regular old living? What about just making life happen? We need to start with God in your process. Now, I tried to come up with some P words here, as you could tell. But I like the word process. Right? Because for things to happen, there have to be some steps for us to go through. Now, I am the person in our family who likes to skip a step every now and then. Um, in fact, the folks at the bank will tell you, I probably don't even know what all the steps are. Uh, because I like to get to the finished product. But anybody who's ever baked a cake will tell you if you skip the sugar, you're not going to like the outcome. Right? So there's a process that you go through. And we tend to like to write the process down and just go through it over and over and over again. And if you do that enough times, then you don't, it, it becomes sort of mindless, right? It's just happening, and I'm just doing it. Well, this is not the first time that Moses and Aaron had been to a rock and seen water come out. You see, early on coming out of Israel, the same thing had happened, Right? And God had said, hey, I'll take care of this. I'll get you some, some, some water out of this rock. Take the stick, you know, the stick, the stick that he held up over the Red Sea. Right, the stick represented God's power, but it wasn't God's power. And God had a plan to sort of reveal himself here in a different way. But Moses had been through these motions. In fact, Moses was pretty frustrated, right? Can you imagine? 40 years, oldest guy consequences that God had already given them where a bunch of people weren't going to get in. They were almost to the finish line on the 40 years. And here are, here's this new generation of people complaining because they don't have water. God said, I'll give them water. Moses got up and said, he's going to give them water again. I, you know what? I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I, 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 wouldn't give them any, I wouldn't give them a leaf to squeeze, right? But God's going to give them water again, so I'll do it. So he got up, took the stick, just like God said, ran out with the stick. But then he said, let's look at what he said. In, in the next, there we go, thank you. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, you knuckleheads. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank. 
and their livestock. They forgot God's instruction when they faced frustration, right? They, f- they forgot the specifics of whatever it was that God was doing. My tendency is to miss what God might be doing in the little things, in the, in the process. We need, to, we need to remember what, that God is always at work revealing himself. We'll see that in just a minute. God is the point. He doesn't want to show you the point. He is the point. Right? And so if I'm in a circumstance, the best question I can ask is, God, how is this circumstance going to make you the point? Make your name great, show you strong, right? Show that I am a believer and it makes a difference in, in who I am and how I live. God is the point. Jesus wants to be uh, the point in our lives. We need to start with God. So let's look at a New Testament verse that would talk about this same thing. This is from Colossians 1. Now I told you Blue Tree was going to roll their eyes. If I can get to Colossians 1 in Sunday school, I'm going to. Okay? So just count on it. Whenever I can, if I can get there, I will. The couple of verses that come before this, 13 and 14, say, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We used to be in darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom where he is. Well, whose are we? Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus we're talking about. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent. He might come before. He might have first place, your your translation might say. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How big a deal is Jesus? To God. Right? We think about God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How big a deal is Jesus? He's all that. He's, he's what God is about in the world. And if you find yourself in a circumstance where you have the opportunity to make much of Jesus, you cannot go wrong. Let me say that again. If you find yourself in a circumstance where you have the opportunity to make much of Jesus, God's Son, you cannot Go wrong. Because this says that what God plans on, right, his reason and his pleasure. So his plan, his purpose, and his pleasure are Jesus. To put Jesus in first place. To hold Jesus up at the highest place. And for all things to come together in Jesus. Now that sounds like this great big idea, but it's not. You know this to be true. This is what God has always been doing, is is looking to put Jesus in first place. He solved all of our sin problem with Jesus that he might have for place. And when we glorify Jesus, we glorify God. 
When we make much of him, we make much of God. But boy, doesn't that sound like a fancy sermon, which for me is sort of crazy. So what does it look like? Like, how do I, how do, I do that? How, how do I make that happen? Well, first I need to ask for Jesus' mind. Jesus, how would you think about this circumstance? How, how would you approach this process? It, it would even be if Mike and I were having a conversation and he was telling me about a problem. In that inner monologue, you, you guys have a conversation about the inner monologue. They ask me at work if I have an inner monologue. Some people say yes and some people say no. And I say, you mean I'm only supposed to have one? There's way too much stuff going on in my head. But there in the back of my mind, he's telling me about my problem. And I'm saying, Jesus, I don't know what in the world he's talking about. But you do. Right? I sure do want to help him. But I don't even know what to tell him. But Jesus, what do you? Jesus, give me your mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. The context there is, are you going to argue with God? Are you going to tell him how it works? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul is saying, look, you, you need to think like Jesus thinks, not like you think. No, don't try to bring him to you, right? He's, he's the anchor, not the boat. You, you're tied to him. He's not tied to you. Now, that is something I get upside down on a regular basis. I want to bring Jesus and God and his plan into line. I want to try to reconcile those. That's something we do a lot at the bank. We do a lot of reconciling. We like to get to zero, right? We say at the bank all the time, the most important number in the world is zero. We like for there to be nothing off, right? Nothing, nothing out of balance. Well, I want, to, I want to balance Jesus to me. Well, I had never been balancing a day in my life. I got a lot of messed up. A lot of it I wouldn't dare tell you about. But if you go back to that verse in Colossians 1 or those verses about Jesus, he won't have any messed up. He never did. In fact, it was always God's plan to reconcile you and me to him, to help us get in balance with him. And so I, I want to I I ask for his mind. I want to think what Jesus thinks. I need to apply Jesus' word. I don't know if you know his word. Uh, this is my new Bible. So my old Bible's over there in a bag because we are finishing up 3 John. And I, didn't, I, I really am not comfortable with this, right? It doesn't have the little brown places where my thumb goes. Um, but the Bible that's over there is a Bible that Brian gave me on our wedding day. And I have used it ever since. I've rebounded it twice. And the words are so tied in there that you can't quite see the beginning of the sentences because it's been re-sewn together. But it's precious to me. It is precious to me, but it's not too precious for me to take with me. I've thrown it around in my car, had it in a book bag. Uh, it's been in the diaper bag or two. Uh, you know, I've carried it around wherever, wherever I went because I needed to know what God said. And the most important thing to me today is that we open this up and see what it says. Because I, I, I don't have anything for whatever you got going on. Maybe you're trying to figure out a process. Maybe you're trying to come up with, God, I need a new plan. I need a reset. I need to know how you want things to go. You need to start with him. Ask him what he thinks. Apply his word. You need to know what it says. Right? And then you need to adjust to Jesus' example. Now, this is where you get the little rubber bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? But you really have to ask that question. How would you know the answer to what would Jesus do? Do you speculate on that? 
you look at the example that he's given us. This verse from John 13, Jesus has just taken off his shirt and put a towel around his waist and washed the nasty feet of his disciples. And then he looks at all of them and says, I know it's a little bit hard for you to understand. In fact, Peter argued with him again. Come on, Peter. He argued with him and he got in trouble for it all the time, but he kept doing it. Peter argued with him again and said, Lord, no way you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, you need me to wash your feet. Isn't that what he said? He just washed their feet. And And then Jesus said, I tell you what, this is the example. I don't know if you guys think that you're going to come and take up um, a role in my administration, right? Maybe you think you're going to be the secretary of Sunday school in my administration, but you're not. This is what my example is for you in life. That you get down and care for other people, starting with their dirty feet. Man. It sounds like a low standard. It's a very high standard for God's people to love people well. That's his example. Jesus' example was an example of sacrifice. It was an example of serving the lowly. It was an example of sharing hope. That's what I'm doing today. If you don't leave with anything else, I hope you leave knowing that you've got a place to start and all the answers are there. If you'll, if you'll go to God first, if you'll start with God in your problem, in your process, all the answers are already there. He's given us everything that we need. I don't even have this in my notes, but another one of those things for Blue Tree to roll their eyes at. Let's talk about the three ones. Ephesians 3.1. If you were to turn over there and read it, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He didn't come down and find a mine on earth with spiritual blessings and give you everything in there. He gave you every single thing that he has where he is. That's pretty big. That's not a small statement. And then 2 Peter 1.3, right, says sort of a similar thing, that God has given us a few things pertaining to life and godliness. Blue tree, is that what it says? What does it say? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. If you're waiting on God to give you the next thing that you need, the, the last little piece of the formula, that you know, drop that you put in there that makes it go for your life to honor him, there is no last drop. In Jesus, he's given you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. In fact, whatever it is that you're struggling with in your process, you already have what you need in him. Go to his word, go to him, look for his example, and follow that. So that's, that's my process. That's my every day. Will I see the world as Jesus sees it? Will I put him in first place? Not when I finish. Hey, God, thanks for making that come out okay. Way to go, Jesus. Well, I, as I'm going in saying, God, I don't know exactly how you want to do this, but you are in control. I'm going to honor you in what I do and say. What if, what if I started with God in my process? What about my purpose? This is an even bigger question. Not my every day, but my always. What were you put on this earth for? Maybe some of you are asking the question, man, I, I just, I tell you, 
I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of the coronavirus. I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of my boss always being on my case. I'm tired of, surely there's something bigger than this. Surely there's some reason that I've been put on this earth. There is. And it's not being hidden from you. And in fact, Moses and Aaron knew what the purpose was, but they forgot. And so God, when he chastised him, he said, because you didn't believe in me, because you didn't uphold me as holy in front of these people, you're not going to lead them in to Canaan. Now, this isn't a disappointment that came, you know, a few minutes after they found out that they might be going to Disney World. This is after they had waited and wandered and struggled for 40 years. God's purpose is important to God. He's not playing um, and consequences are difficult. Now, I want to I talk about that again in a minute because God ultimately provides for his people and he'll ultimately provide for you. But it might, the how matters. So start with God in your purpose. He said, believe me, uphold me as holy. But they, still, they did still get the promise. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what does that look like? Actually, let's read some. Let's read the verse. Verse, verse 12 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not believe me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. What did God want to do? He wanted to show himself mighty on their behalf. He wanted them to see that he does it however he wanted to do it. He wanted to see that all that had to happen was a word. He wanted them to see that it wasn't a stick. It was God. Right? They'd seen some amazing things happen with that stick. But he left the stick out of the plan here on purpose. But Moses thought, Look here, you rebels, right? Isn't that what he said? You bunch of knuckleheads. Are we going to get you some more water out of this rock? And he forgot the point, that God is the point, and missed the promise. So how easy is that? I could be really hard on Moses and Aaron, but how easy is that for me to forget the point? For me to come to church and let's hang out and go to Sunday school and me to say, you know, the most important thing is Jesus, and I need to be putting Jesus in first place. And my goal is to honor God at the end of my, my, my sort of rote uh, prayer for, for meals is God uh, cause us to honor you in what we do and say. But what if I don't do that when I, what if I forget my purpose in my everyday or in my problem or in whatever? So what does Jesus say? Because Jesus said over and over again, I'm my my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, the one who receives me receives the Father. You remember him saying those things? So he saw his, he saw his why as uniquely linked to God's why. And that was an example for us to see the same thing. God, what are you doing? What's your purpose? Well, his purpose is to put Jesus in first place. His purpose is to reveal himself as holy to these people, as other, as transcendent, as the answer to every problem that they might have or need that they might encounter. So what does the New Testament say about this? We got another verse from Paul. Paul's explaining his ministry to these people. He's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. If you read the letters to the Corinthians, they show out a little bit. They don't do great. Uh, but he's encouraging them. But he says to them, look, if, we, if you think we act crazy, if you think we're radical, if you think we're over the top, with this Jesus stuff, it's for you. 
is for you. And here's what he says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. We decided that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I know these verses in the New American Standard, and so I'm into ESV, my new Bible, and this is what I asked for is in ESV, and so I might get a little bit off. I'd encourage you to know them in whatever translation that you have so you can call on them. We need to see Jesus as our why. Paul saw Jesus as his why, and when people said, man, you ju you're just a little bit over the top. I mean, some of this stuff that you're talking about with how we ought to treat each other, you, that's just not practical. Sometimes you get frustrated, or sometimes people get on your nerves. Paul said, well, if you think we're over the top, it's for your sake because we're being controlled by the love of Christ because we've decided that the gospel is true. Jesus died so that men might be reconciled to God because they had a huge sin problem. And he died to fix that problem and he did it. And because he did it, none of us ought to live for ourselves anymore. We ought to live for Jesus. We ought to put Jesus first. Right? We've decided that's true, and because we decided that's true, that settles how we operate. That's what Paul said. So we need to see Jesus as our why. Now, here's a big idea, right? So we really got to know what that looks like. And what am I, like, how in the world do I do this? Well, the first thing you need to do is settle your eternity, right? You need to believe on Jesus and what he did to solve a problem that you have between you and God. See, God's purpose with Israel was to reveal himself as holy. And the problem was they couldn't see that because all they could see is what they wanted and needed. And they wanted it like they wanted it and needed it. And even Moses and Aaron, who had done some pretty cool stuff and seen some amazing things and trusted God in some big places, even Moses and Aaron missed the point because this was a frustrating situation. And they started in the wrong place. They started saying, God, how many more times are you going to provide for these people when they gripe and complain? I mean, how much longer do we have to put up with this? But you need to settle your eternity and solve that problem, that gap between you and him. And so it goes like this. I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus died for me. So my perspective from the point that I'm standing now looking out into forever is that I will what? And you need to answer that question. I'm not going to answer it for you this morning. For me, forever, I'm going to make much of Jesus, love well, because that makes me look like him, and I'm going to rely as best I can on his word. Now, what you're going to find if you read your Bible, you'll find three things that last forever. This will be a good thing to remember, and you can study your Bible and know this. There are three things in there that last forever. The first one is what or who? God himself, right? God is always. He always was, and he always will be. That's what eternal means. The second one is what? His word. Right? The things that he says. The, the scripture says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So if he said it, even if he said it 2,000 years ago, you can count on it today, right? That's the, that's the claim. Now, there's two cool things about that. It's a really cool claim in that he said it a long time ago, and we see all these things today that are applicable to our life. But what's really cool about it is it's true because he said it. 
not the other way around. He didn't figure it out and then tell us. He said it, and when it came out of his mouth, it made it so. That's what being God is. Pretty cool. And then, so we've got God in his word. What else? The souls of men. Ooh. The third thing is the souls of men. We're going to spend eternity somewhere with some experience for all of all, even out on the other end of time. My encouragement to you this morning is that you settle this. And the gospel is, is really clear. There's a reason Jesus came. You see, everybody in this room, and I don't know who you are and what your plan is, we're almost done. God loves you, and he's got a plan, and you fit into that plan very specifically, and it's beautiful. All of you have seen glimpses of how he works things out, and he wants to do that in your life and with your life. Now, he's not doing it for you as much as he's doing it for him, but boy, it's good for you. He loves you. Has a, has a plan for your life. It's beautiful. But there's a problem. The problem is called sin. That's a church word, but all it means is missing the mark. It means that instead of starting with God, I start with me. I say, God, I got this problem. Or I say, God, I'll be back to you later. I got this problem and I got to figure it out. Or it says, you know what, God, I know you like things this way, but I really like them this way. And I'm going to go with that. Right? And the lie that we believe is that what God says is not true, that he's not God. The enemy said... What, what, what did the serpent say to Eve in the garden about the fruit? Eve said, well, if we eat this fruit, we'll surely die. And what did, what, what did the serpent say? You shall not surely die. It's a tiny lie. Changed everything for you and me. And we believe that on a regular... We, we believe that we're not going to die. We can do whatever we want to, right? It's just simply not true. Because what God says is true. And so I've got this problem. I like me more than I like God. I like what I like more than I like God. That's what sin is. But God didn't leave me that way. He provided for it in Jesus. Jesus died. You may have heard this in Sunday school. Jesus died so that you could be in a relationship with him. That was God's provision. And your opportunity is to put him first for the rest of eternity. To get the very best. You know what the best thing God has to offer you? Himself. There's some really cool stuff, and a lot of times I get focused on the stuff and miss the fact, I miss the giver over the gifts. The best thing he has to offer you is himself in your problems, right, and in your good days is that you could celebrate him and be with him. That's the gospel. And what you need to do is respond to this thing that God has done. You need to settle your eternity. You need to seek your destiny. You say, well, look, I'm already a believer, and I've been coming to church here for a long time, but what am I for? Well, I believe God has a plan in my life. I will. For me, this is, I'm going to find out what God's doing and I'm going to get in on it. Right? God's plan for my life is just God's plan. And how does my life fit into it? Because it's not about me, it's about him. But if I can find where he's working, there's a place for me. Jesus said, my father and I are always working. They're always working. I need to find what he's doing and get in on it. Then I need to square my identity. Now, this is the part we're supposed, we think we're supposed to do first, right? I think that I need to look like a good person. I need to behave like a good person. 
And then maybe I can get God to be interested in me. God's ultimately interested in you and your eternity. And he gave, John 3.16 says, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the third step, not the first step. So I'm becoming more like Jesus because I know him. The closer I get to him, the more the words that I say sound like him. And the way I move my mouth and my hands and my feet looks like him because I'm growing closer to him. I believe in God's work. Today, I'm going to join him. I'm going to get in on it. So what I would encourage you to do, and maybe you're not a believer, but I'm going to tell you one more story and we're done. I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. And this, I, I don't want this story to be distracting, but I do want to help you. I want to talk to you about my dad's 1985 Ford. Now, it was not a, a 1985 Ford GT. There, in fact, wasn't an 85 Ford GT. It wasn't an 85 Ford Mustang. It was an 85 Ford Escort LX five-speed wagon, and it was a diesel. Now, my dad was not a gearhead. Um, he was a relatively practical person. And I admire him more day by day as I see the places where he sacrificed for my family, but where he sacrificed the pride he was struggling with to put Jesus first. And I give you a bunch of examples of that. But today we're going to talk about this Ford wagon. <clears throat> he loved it. It was a five-speed. For me, it was an exercise in domesticated humiliation. I was, I was 14 years old, and he drove me around in this thing. It was a five-speed. My dad drove this thing and every other thing he drove like Jason Bourne on the streets of Paris just wide open the car wasn't built to be driven that way and twice there was no third time because he got rid of it twice it left him on the side of the road because it couldn't handle what he was expecting of it it was black like that and like I said he drove it like a Maserati but it couldn't handle it. And it left him disappointed. He would say things like, man, I, this is a brand new car. It ought, to, it, ought to, it ought to be able to handle what I'm asking of it. It ought to be able to do this. All I'm trying to do is get from point A to point B. Left him stranded. One of those cell phones back then. Car put you down, you're standing on the side of the road. And the person who helped you was whoever drove up next left him stranded left him disappointed as much as I hated it he was proud of it we didn't own a bunch of new cars in my life and there was a lot of things going on and we were at a place in my life before I was 16 where he was driving me all over because if I could sign up for it I did and he drove me all over creation in this and other cars but it left him disappointed your life today as a believer or if you don't know Jesus going to leave you disappointed, stranded, frustrated. Unless you see things like Jesus sees them. Put them in the order that God has for you. Put him first. I don't know your circumstance. Maybe you've got a huge problem and you're in crisis. Maybe all you're trying to do is put one foot in front of the other until things get back to normal for your process. Maybe you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. That guy's crazy. They need to bring the preacher back. 
Whatever those things are, this is my encouragement. Start with God. There's a verse in John that says this. This is John talking to some people who are being a little bit, um, I would say dodgy, right? He would say, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of this bread shall not hunger. And they would say something back like, give us the bread forever, right? They thought they knew but they really weren't willing to hear what he was saying. So he said this. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If Brother Matt was here and we were reading in the, in the King James, I love this. He says, I will in no wise cast out. It's not going to happen. So there's, this is a zero risk opportunity for you to come to Jesus. You come to him, he won't cast you out. You don't have to have a checklist. You don't have to have it all in order. It doesn't matter whether you came ready to do that or not. If you'll come to Jesus, he will not cast you out. You come to him with your problem, he won't cast you out. It won't matter what the problem is. It won't matter if it's that you messed up. You come to him because you have believed in him, but your life's gotten off the tracks. He's not going to say, why in the world did you do that? If you come to me, it'll be because the Father gave you to me. It'll be the work that I'm doing, he said and I will in no wise cast out. So we're gonna sing, and then we're gonna get out of here. I apologize for how long this has been. Thank you for listening to me. My encouragement to you is to start with God. Let's do that, let's lift him up now. The altar's open. There are plenty of people in here who can pray with you, uh, and, and I would love the opportunity to talk to you too if the, if the chance comes around. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Pray that you'll ring it true in our lives. We're gonna lift you up now. Pray that as you're working, we would begin with you. We'd go back to the place where we started and start with you and see it like you see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.